If you or a loved one has had thoughts of self-harm, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline by dialing 988 or visiting suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Rob, I don't want to get all sappy on you, but like, I'm really glad that you're okay. That car accident thing freaked me out. I am too. Uh, I saw my life flash before my eyes more than one time, and that was odd. Yeah, I mean, that could have been really bad. So, I mean, I feel kind of weird with you driving. I hope I'm in good hands, but you know, I you know, things like that only happen like once in a lifetime. I hope, fingers crossed. Yeah, it's it's kind of like lightning never striking the same place twice. Yeah, especially with me in the car next to you. Mm-hmm. I'm just joking, but you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it has it has given me a new perspective on things. You know, when you when you go through a traumatic experience like that, it's uh, it it definitely changes the way that your brain works and the wiring in there. You know, I could see that, and you need a change of underwear after that too. I would think. Oh yeah, I, I needed several actually. <laughs> I could see that. I could see that. That's like a near death experience. Some people say they like can like feel things and see things and you know all that weird spooky stuff well actually you know speaking of that um ever since the accident i i've been able to see ghosts i i see dead people everywhere are you serious totally dude you were joking with me just to see what i'll believe no i'm serious because there is somebody directly behind you are you I'm, I'm not. I'm not fucking with you. There. I don't know who the hell this dead person in my car is, but yeah, they're they're taking a little trip with us. That's pretty creepy. What does he look like? He kind of looks like John Stamos. John Stamos with a beard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, with the beard. Okay, I'm yeah. okay with this. Suddenly, it just got a little bit better. I'm not as creeped out. Yeah. Uh, mm. Definitely a throwback from like the Welcome Back Cotter days, you know, the the leather jacket, the the greaser haircut. Yeah, totally. Huh, interesting, interesting. It's kind of hot in here, though. I'm going to take off my hat. It's, it's really hot in here. Oh, oh. man. Um, mm. I don't. I don't know how to say this to you, but you've got some ghostly numbers carved into your head. What? Uh, the number sixty nine. Now I know you're shitting with me. I'm totally serious. I, th- this is like, I don't know what's going on, but I've been seeing a lot of numbers like here and there. Um, like yesterday I saw the number 11. 
And then I saw the number 13 and then, you know, just the numbers kept going up. But yeah, dude, you've got 69 on your head. What does that mean? Uh, I hope it means like something sexual, but like the way that I think is like, you know, you're next in line to go. Go where? Uh, to the other side. Like soon? Honestly, I don't know, man. There's no timer for this. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm going to put my hand back on. Oh, that didn't help. I can still see the numbers right through your hat. Okay, I just want to go home. destructive force unleashed on this town such as I have never seen. Oh my god, I don't believe this is not happening! We have got a poltergeist! Okay, well, folks, I can do a clearance, but uh, it's not gonna be cheap. Although I do offer a six-month guarantee. That fellow takes us totally for granted. Hey, Stuart, interact, huh? Frank Bannister had a remarkable ability... Psychic investigator? ...to communicate with the dead. If you could see spirits? Emanations are normally confined at the cemetery. You cannot push spirits around! Although they do escape. And an uncanny knack... We're gonna scare the living daylights out of your parents. ...for making a profit off the living. We're supposed to be his business partners. Everyone says that you're a fraud, but I've seen what you can do. Give it up, Frank. Death ain't no way to make a living. But now... Some things put the fear of death in the living. What is happening to me? And send the dead... Running for their lives. I've seen a figure in a cape. That was the soul collector. When your number's up, that's it. Frank, we got problems. All these murders that have been going on in Fairwater, they're gonna pin them on you. From Universal Pictures and Robert Zemeckis. You're next, pal. And acclaimed director, Peter Jackson. We don't stop till the screaming starts, you dang. The Frighteners. Welcome back, Midnight Mass Creature Cast fans. This time around, we're going to get our spooky on with The Frighteners from 1996. It has a runtime of one hour, 50 minutes. Rated R. I am Mark, and I'm joined by the ever awesome. I'm Rob, and I'm recovering from a virus. Not the Jamie Lee Curtis kind. No, no. That would be amazing. But no, it's just a little bug he's got. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, So that's why he sounds like ultra sexier than normal with his deep I don't, honestly, I don't think I sound very good. I, I, I think I sound kind of like I'm dying. <laughs> well, that's all relative. I think to some people that would be exactly what they want in a partner. Hmm, maybe. Yeah. Do, do I have numbers into. on my forehead? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a number six and a, oh my God, it's a nine. 69 is on your forehead, my friend. <laughs> really? I was hoping it would be 666, but. Uh. Oh. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yes, I take that back. It's yeah. all yeah, it's changing now. That nine just flipped up and there's another one showing oh, up. Oh, okay, okay. There you go. Your wish is your wish <laughs> has been granted. Um, so now this movie uh was my pick. Um, 
now I believe you've got a past with this as well. You've seen this before. Am I correct? Uh, yeah. I saw this, I want to say maybe 98. Okay. So not too soon after it came out. Yeah. All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now I saw, I saw it in the theater. I, I remember seeing it in the theater. Um, did you catch it on cable or did you see it in the theater too? No, 90, no, two years later, probably wouldn't be in the theater anymore. No, I, yeah, this was during my uh, blockbuster and Hollywood video rental time where I would just grab up a bunch of DVD, VHS, whatever, and, you know, just watch the hell out of everything. Go to town with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now it's directed by Peter Jackson, who is a friend of the podcast, but before me, um, you guys did Dead Alive. Uh, one of his films from '92. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> there's a lot of people in the film, so what I'm going to do is really shorten my my uh, movie recommendations from from uh, the cast. Um, another one by him that I love is Heavenly Creatures from '94, and he did that one right before he did this film. Basically, is uh, that the Christian Slater one? No, no, it's got. Uh, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank now. The girl from Titanic. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen that one then. It's amazing. It's it's amazing. It's based on a, a true story about two teenage girls who their parents felt they were getting too close. Um, and so they were going to actually like move a, apart to kind of separate the girls. And they decided that the best way they could stay together was to murder their parents. Oh, wow. Um, OK. Yeah. Um, but it's it's done in such a creative way. It's amazing. I highly recommend the film. Uh, it's great. It's great. Um and then the actual, they actually ended up having to change their, uh, it was, it was a, a, a mandate by the law, by the, 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 uh, the ju judicial system. They had to actually change their identity so they could never find each other again. Um, and it's purported that one of actually became like a, a true crime writer or like not true crime, like a, um, a crime novelist kind of thing, but it, you know. Oh, so it's based on, sure. it was actual. So events that actually happened. Oh, true. Less, yes. Oh. Like a true crime story. Yeah. It's a great movie is a great wow. movie. Kate Winslet. That's who I was trying to think of Kate Winslet from, from Titanic. Yeah. Okay. She's one of the girls. Um, and actually the other actress in it, who I feel bad that I don't have this in front of me, um, uh, is actually the female sheriff in the frighteners because Peter Jackson gave her a little role in this one as well. So oh, cool. Yes, 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 yes. Um, then our main star is, of course, uh, Michael J. Fox, uh, who plays Frank the Psychic. Um, probably the movie I rec most recommend that I love by him is Mars Attacks from 96, the Tim Burton film. I, I love that movie. That's a good um, choice. Yes. Uh, now, I'll be honest with you. I've not seen any of the uh, Back to the Future films. That's not oh, my really wow. kind of thing. So all those Marty McFly fans out there, I'm sure they're <laughs> screaming that one. But yeah, Mars Attacks is the one that I would recommend by him. Hello, McFly. <laughs> oh, man, I loved Back to the Future. I figured you would bring it up because I thought you had, had talked about it before. I knew it was one of your, your yeah. favorites. Um, and then there's a married couple that comes into play. Uh, uh, Dr. Linsky uh, is Trini... Alvarado. Yeah. You're so, saying that, right? Yep. Yeah. The movie that like I, Rob, I can't, there are certain movies that you just find them at a certain point in your life and they have a huge impact on you. So, you know, I, as a, as a youngster, we only had like five TV stations because this is way before like everything, even before cable and late at night, I found this movie called Times square. 
And it was about these two young girls. And I think they were kind of like shoved into this like mental facility, but neither one of them, there's really anything wrong with them. They were just kind of like troubled teens, but they strike up a friendship. And Tim Curry from the Rocky Horror Picture Show is a DJ. And so music is very uh, crucial to the plot of the film. But the soundtrack, Rob, is amazing. It turned me on to so many musicians that to this day I still love. Um, but like, I remember I found the album like like at a markdown bin and it was just, oh, it, I still listen to it. I still own the album. It's just phenomenal. It's got, like the Pretenders and Talking Heads and um, it's just so many like really cool bands. At the time, we're kind of cutting edge. I mean, now everybody knows them, but like they were just kind of on their way up then. A- awesome movie. I love the movie. Sweet. Yeah, I could totally see Tim Curry as a DJ. Yeah, it was really like just a weird, quirky film. But man, it turned me on to so much music that I still love to this day. Um, and then she's married to an actor. Um, Peter, or in the, I'm sorry. Her husband's Ray in the movie. And the actor is Peter Dobson. I don't really have any recommends for him. Uh, the uh, only thing of note for him, I would say, is I guess right before this, he was in a uh, film where he played Elvis. And that's why there's little nods to Elvis throughout the movie with like the little statuary and stuff in their oh, apartment or their I house. Wondered. Yeah, because, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the. Who is all right? The the black ghost. <laughs> I mean that that's a bad way of saying it. Oh, Cyrus, our funky phantom. Yes. Now he is kind of dressed like I. Now they were saying something about like he's got seventies style clothing on, but I always likened it to he was an Elvis impersonator or something. Because oh, he's he, kind of got that lounge. Yeah. Like that. He, yeah. Yes. His clothing yeah. reminded me more like Elvis than it did like something from the seventies. I think. He kind of had that like black exploitation, like disco outfit on. Yeah. And and, like, you know, the Afro. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Yes. Yeah. But yeah, that's what Uh, I thought too. Like when they were playing with like the Elvis statue, I was like, oh, there's a lot of nods to Elvis in this. Yes, exactly. Right. Right. And that's why, because of, because of Peter Dobson uh, and his role as Elvis in another film. Um, uh, So while we're there, so our, our ghostly cast, uh, Cyrus is Chai McBride. Uh, the movie I'd recommend from him was What's Love Got to Do With It, the Tina Turner biopic from 1993. Does he play Ike Turner? He does not. He oh, does not okay. play Ike. No. Um, and then our other ghost is Stuart, who's uh, Jim Fry- uh, Fife, F-Y-F-E, Jim Fife. Now, he was in, in he was in, in The Mouth of Madness from 94. Oh, no way. Way. Uh, he was. Um, and then Judge, the, the kind of cowboy one. Uh, the movie I'd recommend from him is Freaky Friday from 1976. I love that movie with Jodie Foster. That's a Disney one. Have you ever seen Freaky Friday? Uh, I saw with Yeah, the one with Jamie Lee Curtis. I knew you were going to say that with <laughs> Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I love the premise of that. I think it's very fun. But people will know Mr. Aston most probably from uh, his role as Gomez Adams on the Ams Family. Yep. And then he took uh, over for Frank Gorshin. Um, in the Batman TV series, he portrayed the Riddler in two episodes um, in 67 after Frank Gorshin uh, stepped down from the role. Um, and then the other ghost I want to talk about just really quick was uh, the drill sergeant, Hiles. Oh, yes. My favorite guy from uh, Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, that's R. Lee Ermey, E-R-M-E-Y. And then, see, I know him from, of course, Seven. 
because any movie with Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box is one of my favorites. <laughs> and oh, I'm sorry, spoiler alert. Um, and then uh, he What's was also in, in the, the box. Texas, yeah, <laughs> he was also in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake from 2003, which I actually think is a really that was about the time when those really started kicking off all the like horror movie remakes. But that one, I think, is actually one of the better remakes. You know, what's odd, though, is he has been typecast as a drill sergeant in so many oh, damn yes. movies. Yes, yes. But I like that it's played for last year. I think it's really fun. Yeah, I, I like that. He's OK with that. Yeah. Um, now we move on to I just listed him as the trio. Um, it'll come into play later. But we have Mrs. Bradley, the mother. Um, and that's Juliana McCarthy. Uh, she was in Bad Dreams from 1988, which I highly recommend that one. It's a really fun, like, kind of creepy little thing that kind of s- snuck out there in the ether. Um, and then she also was in, for all you true crime people, she was in Ted Bundy from 2002. She was in Starship Troopers, as well as Jake Busey, who's also in this film, as the psycho killer Johnny Bartlett. I did not know she was in Starship Troopers. Wow. Yeah, she's listed as an expert. So I think that she was in probably one of the classroom scenes or something or filling in people like one of the scientists filling people. Oh, so it was a like a really lightning quick scene kind of. Probably. Yeah, probably. Oh, wait a minute. I think I remember her. She was. I tell you why you don't remember her. She was in that new shower shower scene with everybody. It was probably so fast you didn't. Oh, yeah. Or maybe I blocked my eyes, you know, (laughs) because of old wrinkly bodies. Now, now, don't don't shame people. Um, But yeah, she was in that, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then um, while we're on Jake Busey, he was also in Identity from 2003, which I think is a great movie. Everyone needs to check that one out. Yeah. Spoiler free. Don't know anything about it going into it, folks. Um, and then she has her daughter, Patricia Bradley, played by fan friend, of the not fan. Friend of the podcast. Yeah. Friend of the podcast. D. Wallace. I wish she was a fan of the podcast. Yeah, like if she, she can you imagine how cool that would be if she listened to our little show? I love her. I see. I met her at a convention and she was like the sweetest person ever. Like, like just insanely sweet. Um, but I would recommend the howling from 81, which we've covered on here. Um, the Hills have eyes, the West Craven film from 77 and then, uh, Cujo from 1983, which is in our future. I believe. Yeah. Cujo is definitely, I'm looking at my crystal ball right now and I can see Cujo coming down the line in a few weeks. Now, just for, you know, listeners of the podcast so you you actually was it uh you were climbing a fence and is that how the scrotum tore and then you had it replaced with that crystal ball that's right that is correct yes yeah you're healing well now right correct hmm, yeah i almost made it over the fence like okay as a kid i used to hop fences in like 0.2 seconds flat you know like that kid in um legend of boggy creek you know jumping the fence he was really fast (laughs) Uh, I was like that as well, but there was an incident and yes, I, I have been detesticled. Yes. Been replaced with yep. I, uh, an all seeing crystal ball. Yes. So, you know, you, you, you win, you lose or you lose, you win, you lose, you win. I think in this situation, right? When one door closes, <laughs> another one opens. Exactly. And then I would be remiss if I failed to mention the presence of Jeffrey Combs as the FBI agent, Milton <laughs> Dammers, which uh, I love it, but I mean, we'll get into this further as we go along in the movie. It's just like, it seems a little misplaced, you know? He is so off, <laughs> off the chains in this film. Um, so Mr. Combs, we've already done Reanimator and uh, From Beyond, two of his films. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I'm also going to say check out the Giver from 91 and then head down one more year and check out Dr. Mordred, which is actually they had lost the rights to the Dr. Strange title name. So they still basically did a Dr. Strange movie with him as Dr. Strange. So it's pretty fun. You should check that one out, folks. So he plays uh, Dr. Stephen Strange. Exactly. Yes. But it's Dr. Mordred. Yeah, it's totally, totally like a Dr. Strange movie. That's on a real low budget. Yeah. But it's a lot of fun. Yes. All right. So we good to go, my friend? Yes, we are. All right. So um, the film itself was uh, made in New Zealand, which is no surprise because it's Peter Jackson and he's Australian. Um, so it opens with <clears throat> the thunder and the lightning and everything. And we're inside that creepy house and we see um, Patricia D. Wallace is fleeing from something. And then you get that. To me, it reminds me of the. Freddy Krueger scene in Nightmare on Elm Street where he's like pushing through the the ceiling above Nancy. Right. I was going to say the same thing. It was very reminiscent of like Freddy Krueger just pulsing through a rubber wall. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It well, was... so she's being pursued by this presence that's, you know, like in the wall and then like through the flooring and stuff like that. Um, and then we hear her mother upstairs um, <clears throat> is uh, riled up and then she starts shooting at the ghost, basically. Um, and then the dark matter that was pursuing Patricia just kind of flies at the screen and then we get the title for the Frighteners. Yeah. Then the the, uh, next day we see a funeral procession of cars and we see that the, um, Gazette, the newspaper of the town says that there's a mystery heart condition that's been, uh, been a problem persisting throughout the Fairwater residence. Um, and then we find out they, uh, the Bradley Bartlett uh, murder spree um, happened several years ago in the town of Fairwater. And that's going to come into play much later. Um, and then the uh, editor is sending Stephen, a reporter out to the funeral um, to kind of in, uh, uh, investigate what, what's been going on because these things are like increasing and they're very odd. Like why people's hearts are just stopping um, at the funeral. A psychic, uh, Frank Bannister, shows up and he's just shoot away and he eventually just leaves and gets into his yellow Volvo and yeah, departs. He looks scene. very disheveled. He does look very disheveled. Poor, uh, poor Frank. Um, he's driving very erratically uh, and he eventually crashes into a fence uh, belonging to Ray Linsky. Um, this actor, he's very good at portraying, I think, like people that just seem really kind of like... Um, Douchey? Yes, I was very, very douchey. You get the douche vibes from that guy. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> it's like I'm going to drink my protein shake. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. He would totally hang out with Andrew, wouldn't he? Andrew Dice, um, the, the clay man. Um, so now we are at the Bradley residence and Dr. Linsky, um, who we will find out later is actually the spouse of the person that Frank has just ruined the yard, ran over his gnome. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Luckily it wasn't a life-size one. Thank God. Cause those things are so expensive to replace. You know what? If that were the case, I'd like to think that it would be, you know, the anatomically correct gnome, the engorged member would have like ruined his windshield. And you know, <laughs> one would hope so. Yeah. I would like to think that would play out, but anyway, so <clears throat> Uh, Dr. Linsky, um, Lucy, has shown up to the Bradley residence to check in on um, 
Patricia, who was a patient released from the home, uh, mental home, mental facility, um, was it five years ago, I believe. And uh, at first, the mother won't let her into, won't let the doctor into see her because she doesn't recognize her. But then she, you know, kind of worms her way into the house and she checks, goes to check on um, Patricia. I keep wanting to say D, goes to, to check on Patricia. <laughs> um, her hands kind of cut and her neck looks really bad. She's got bruises on her neck and everything. Yeah. Now, would that be from the mother or would no, that be from the ghost? I don't think so. I think it's from the ghost. Because we know that. Well, we come to find out anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's like, why would uh, Johnny Bartlett have anything to do with that sort of thing? Unless their relationship is kind of like a, you know, uh, autoerotic asphyxiation kind of sexual thing. Um, Well, see, I wonder if he wasn't just, okay, this is me reading totally into stuff. I've got no, you know, whatever. But I wonder if it wasn't like an abusive kind of relationship. Yeah, well, that's what I thought, too. But then when we reach the end, it seems like she's the one who kind of planted the idea in his head about, you know, getting better than all these other serial killers. Yeah, and but it you seems, can still be abusive and be, you yeah. know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know. I, well, they're both screwed up, definitely. Oh, so screwed up. They're both so screwed up. Yeah. yeah they're both. I don't know why, but their relationship, and I don't know if you're going to know what I'm talking about. Their relationship always reminded me of Mickey and Mallory from Natural Born Killers. Or um, the California movie with uh, oh, sure, David exactly. Duchovny, yeah. Yeah, well, of course, Juliette Lewis is my favorite white trash uh, <laughs> psycho killer ever. I love Juliette Lewis more than life itself. Um, now, just real quick, this is another little tangent. I love Dee Wallace's look in this thing. Because it's the most oh, undie Wallace look. It does not look like her at all. I no, had to. She's got that long dark hair. Yeah, I had to do a double take and look her up and and be like, wait, where was D Wallace in this movie? Oh, that's where she was. Okay. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So the mom kind of gets Lucy away from Patricia, and she's like, "You don't want to trust Patricia," mm-hmm. and you know she kind of fills uh, uh, fills her in that you know like the mom's fair. Oh, how do I say this? It's she's giving her facts about her daughter to the, to the doctor, but she's doing so, so very elusively instead of just coming out and saying things, it's all the like, very like kind of like ghost messagey. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, just say what you mean, lady. Don't like be evasive in the information you're giving this woman. Cause she's like, you know, she was a, a, uh, accused of being an accessory after the fact. And it was a cold hearted murder and everything, but that really doesn't give the doctor any kind of, background that she would need to to fill in any of these facts right she just leaves she's trying to issue a warning but it's so damn cryptic that i yeah you wouldn't get anything out of it right yes yeah i do love oh go ahead oh i wanted to before i forget um the hairstyle that um Uh, didn't it look like a francis ford coppola's dracula yes (laughs) (laughs) very much so i wanted Oh, the children of the night, <laughs> what music they make. <laughs> but then I automatically made the leap to um, the the Simpsons, where it would be Homer's boss. Oh, Mr. Uh, what's his name? I can't think of his name. Yeah, but that's why I, I, I automatically it was him being. <laughs> Mr. Her. Burns. Yeah, Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns. It was Mr. Burns being Patricia's mom <laughs> as Dracula from Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Oh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah, no, but I love that actress. Like, I love her. She's very good in this. Um, 
So then we get like this flashback scene that kind of fills in things. So John Charles Bartlett, played by Jake Busey, um, broke into the Fairwater Sanatorium and 12 people were killed. Um, and he was trying to outdo Charles Starkwater, who is a, a, a serial killer, and he wanted to up the, up the number. And at the time, uh, Patricia Bartlett um, was in love with him and she was 15 years old. Um, how do I explain this to you? I like the look of her now with Jake Busey because he's almost like frozen in time. So he looks the same then as he does now. Mm -hmm. But there's like that discrepancy between her as a 15 year old and then how she looks now with him. I think that's kind of cool how he's like frozen in time, but then she's aged. I think that's kind of a neat. Yeah, but she's only aged in uh, the uh, physical capacity because mentally she is still pretty much like that uh, ridiculous child. Uh, <laughs> or is she or was she like an incredibly conniving 15 year old? That Yeah, maybe. But you know what I mean? Yeah, it's hard to tell, really. Because she was crazy. <laughs> she was. She was cray cray. <laughs> yeah. So, OK, so what we're seeing actually come to find out is that Lucy uh, Linsky has um, gotten a hold of this. Basically, it's how would you say it? It's like a, a, a DVD about different kind of serial killers. And she's watching it in the bedroom with her husband, Ray, while he's like working out on the floor. Yeah, he's doing his rowing machine or something. <laughs> yeah. OK, so. All right, Rob. The case, the DVD case. Mm hmm. It's it's got um, pictures of like killers on the front. OK. The one half are the two girls from Heavenly Creatures. Oh, no shit. Yes. And then if you look at the at the uh, at the uh, the VCR sideways is the Heavenly Creatures videotape resting by the VCR in the film. Well, I did not notice that. I didn't really look at. You, you wouldn't know, have any reason stuff. to be doing it. But yeah, once you notice to go back, there's also he did so many things like to tie in with like different little things. It's really quite fun. Now, so right. did we what? Now, I remember when I popped the Blu-ray in last night, I watched the regular version. I didn't watch the director's cut. Um, so we both watched the same movie, right? Okay. So this is where I've got to fess up to you. I was so aggravated. In my mind, I had the Blu-ray of this. So I'm looking all over this house for the Blu-ray because I'm very organized. My stuff is not like all over the place. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, where did this go? Because I like, okay, so. So viewers or listeners, there's no viewers, listeners, we pick ahead of time what we're going to do. And then Rob picks his group of films and I pick mine. And I always make sure that I have them and I pull them aside and I set them like on my little shelf that I pull from. Every other film that we're going to watch that I have picked are, are still sitting up there, but this one is not. So I'm like, where is this movie? And I'm looking all over the house for it. And then Walt's like, I know we've watched this. Okay, so... Way back when Blu-ray first started, there was a thing called HD DVD that also started and they were like in competition, but then porn got in bed with Blu-ray and then it, they did not get in bed with HD. So that just kind of was a nail in the coffin for HD DVD. So, oh, so but, that's why uh, HD DVD went out of business and Blu-ray kind of took over. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That and the companies that were putting things out on HD DVD were putting out old things and not a lot of new stuff, new titles. 
Well, Blu-ray was putting out a lot of new titles and not messing with the older titles. It was just really poor planning. But anyway, my Frighteners was on HD DVD, which I had gotten rid of those about a year ago. So then I ended up renting this thing from Amazon after like hours of pure... frantically searching throughout my home on uh, trying to find this movie. But anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm sure we watched the exact same cut. Okay. Yeah. Cause I didn't know. So I was like, let me just go with the regular theatrical version this time, not the director's cut. So that way we'll be on the same page. Yeah. And this one still doesn't have like a great release as many of Mr. Jackson's films don't, especially earlier films don't have great releases. Yeah. Like you um, can't find bad taste or um, dead uh, alive. Like basically yeah. anyway, you got to get bootlegs of those. Supposedly his earlier films, he is working on to get them like up to par for like today's technology. Like he wants them to look as best as possible. And that's why everything is kind of being held off on, which oh, I'm hoping beyond hope to get like a really good release of like, uh, was it? Uh, um, I keep thinking bad dreams because that's stuck in my head. Not oh, bad, bad dreams. taste. No, not that one. I'm sorry. Uh, Dead Alive. I love Dead, oh, Dead Alive, Alive so much. Okay. Dead Alive. I love it so much. I love it so much. Yeah, it's okay, a great so movie. Yeah, but anyway, okay. So Ryan is wanting to get Randy with Lucy, but while he's on there, he sees Frank's business card that he had given him earlier on the bed with Lucy, and he like freaks out because then he realizes that somehow she might know him too. And he's like, oh my gosh, why is this guy back in my life? Yeah, because well, he tore that card up like out on in the lawn, you know, after he got his exactly. fence destroyed. Well, then all of a sudden the bedroom goes crazy. And what's actually happened is Frank is got this kind of a like a sham business going because he actually can like interact with ghosts and he will send ghosts into people's homes to make them think that their house is possessed by poltergeists or not possessed by it's however you want to do the wording. But anyway, it's infested by poltergeist activity and then he'll come in and basically like cleanse the house and make some money that way. So they use the card to call him and Ryan's not really sold on the idea, but Lucy thinks it'd be a good idea. So basically Frank shows up to cleanse the house, but Frank's more like, hey, you know what? If you forgive me running over your fence and just call it even, then we'll just, you know, bypass me owing you money and you owing me money. We'll call it even. Yeah. And and his wife, you know, he just trying to make his wife happy because the wife is like, do it, just do it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and so he cleanses the house and there's that little, is it, everything's just like really like Jerry rigged hokey little gimmicks things. And he's got, it looks like a radio, an old time radio that pops up this little plastic bag, which he says is like what six ectoplasmic emanations and he just throws in the garbage disposal. (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. It reminded, it was so ghostbusters. Like just that whole thing right there. Yeah. But this is the scene where he realizes that there's a glowing number 37 on Ryan's head. And that kind of like freaks Frank out a little bit, but he's thrown out of the place before he can really do anything about it. Yeah, because uh, what's his name? Ray thinks that he's trying to get more money out of him. Yeah, he's not. He's not having this guy. He's not really a fan of him whatsoever. Um, This is where we meet uh, after he's thrown out. This is where we uh, are back at Frank's place. And we see this kind of like a big, sprawling, unfinished home that he's just kind of not 
been giving his attention to. Um, we've got, uh, there's a ghost like bloodhound who's <laughs> <laughs> a jawbone. <laughs> I got, got a jawbone that he's, he's eating. There's Stuart, um, who seems kind of like a little nervous kind of dweeby ghost. Then we have Cyrus, which is the funky phantom. I love him. Um, and then he's kind of, um, Frank's kind of bemoaning the fact that, uh, they didn't really like do all the things they should have done, you know, the night before, uh, on the couple, there was more tricks that he was hoping they would have played, but they didn't kind of fulfill their end of the bargain and everything. Yeah. Like they didn't flip the toilet lid up and down. Uh, right. And yeah. Yeah. Do some um, like cl- open and close the doors and stuff. Right. Right. And then apparently they've all been working, you know, on this kind of like sham business they got going for five years. Um, and then the uh, next morning during breakfast is where we are also introduced to judge the kind of gunslinger ghost. Uh, he comes in shooting because he wants his jawbone back from the dog. Um, <laughs> and then this is where it's revealed that the judge's ectoplasm is all dried up. And, yeah. It uh, <laughs> <laughs> frightens a young man's game. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and then uh, the next thing we're introduced to the Waterhouse residence where the, uh, I guess, housekeeper is kind of taking care of the little kids. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, we get like silly baby floating around. The room <laughs> that would scare the hell out of me. I mean, children are scary <laughs> enough as it is. And then you add like they can float. <laughs> get me yeah. the hell out of here. But so he's been called to do his, you know, exorcism routine or whatever. But uh, it's to no avail to no avail because the homeowner has found the uh, local con man article on the front of the newspaper uh, because the editor ha- kind of has it out for Frank. Mm-hmm. So he does not make money off that a little shenanigan there. Um, and they're calling it like a major health crisis, which I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I guess you know, it's a health crisis to me. It just seems more horrifying than a health crisis. Yeah. I don't think that <laughs> don't would know. be a health crisis. Yeah. Because you'd so, have to get the CDC involved and, and you know, to claim all that sort of thing. And I don't know. Like, who? Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I, w- I don't know. I would call it something else. But so Frank goes and he kind of confronts the editor and everything. So clearly there's no love lost there. But on his way out, he bumps into that guy with the long hair and the beard and the funky t shirt on. Mm-hmm. That's Peter Jackson. That was? Yeah, he was uh, wearing the uh, like the heavy metal T-shirt and the vest and and the the biker jacket. Kind yeah, of like yeah, that's Peter. Oh wow, I did not know yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden he spies Doctor Linsky in a funeral possession, um, and then he spots Ray, ghostly Ray, running down like the street. And so the two of them kind of head down an alley. Frank's trying to actually just get away from Ray because he doesn't want to have any interaction with him. Now he's a ghost. Um, and then Ray's kind of like freaking out because the whole death thing is weird. And he doesn't, I guess when you die, you don't quite know how to handle things and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, Frank's saying, you know, just take the light of the corridor of light and that'll get you out of here and everything. And, you know, just give it one more year and then you'll become pure spirit. Um and then Ray asked Frank if he would mind just to take him to the funeral, which I'm like, couldn't you do it as a ghost? I don't know. I thought it was kind of yeah. funny. And didn't um, that give you like uh, kind of Whoopi Goldberg ghost vibes there? Because like, you know how once they knew that um, Whoopi could hear and talk to the spirits, like they never left her alone. And so it just reminded me of like that whole you know, somebody was Patrick Swayze and the other person was Whoopi. 
Okay, so you keep doing this to me. You keep outing me on this show. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry. I'm what so, did I do? I I'm not a Whoopi Goldberg fan. Okay, so you didn't see Ghost. Uh, uh-uh. I don't like Debbie oh. Moore that much, and I've always been indifferent to Patrick Swayze unless he's got a beard. Okay. <laughs> and Ghost just seems so chick flicky to me. I'm like, I don't need this in my life. Now, had like Patrick Patrick Swayze become like demonically possessed. <laughs> <laughs> and Whoopi Goldberg was like a voodoo practicing, like, you know, witch. Yeah. I'd been all over that shit, but it just seems so like, it just didn't seem like my kind of thing. I'm not telling, you know, anyone that loves it, that's great. That's your thing. But to me, I'm like, I just, it just was not my kind of thing. I just did not <laughs> think that I wanted that. Now, Abby is, if anyone's out there seen Abby, the uh, black exploitation version of the exorcist. Now I'm all about that. I've okay, talked to no. you about Abby forever, but Ghost, no. I've never seen that, so. Abby's amazing. Um, <clears throat> but yeah. <clears throat> okay, so then you wouldn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> no, but I kind of understand the premise of it, because like, I can't, like, uh, Whoopi Goldberg is some kind of like, uh, she almost, isn't she kind of like Frank? She's kind of like a psychic yeah, or something, she's a- and she can see Patrick Swayze, and she can kind of talk to, like, him, so she's got to help tell Whoopi Gold, not uh to me more about like, wasn't there gangsters or something in the movie uh, or some like uh, his life got taken by the company that he was working for some weird stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of like this where he was like, you're the only one that I can turn to because you, you're the only one who can hear me. Um, and I'm just going to keep annoying you until you decide to help me out like that kind of thing. Yeah. Now I, I will also do this caveat. If it had been Whoopi Goldberg, Patrick Swayze, and Bruce Willis as the couple, then I would have watched Ghost. <laughs> okay. Like Patrick Swayze and Bruce Willis doing making the clay thing. I've been all over that. <laughs> that anyway. would be that would be weird because Demi would be like, What are you doing? You're my husband. <laughs> He's an actor. He's an actor. <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, gosh, we've digressed. So at the cemetery, um, once they arrive, all the ghosts kind of come out of their graves once Frank shows up. Mm -hmm. And then he's confronted by uh, the like that drill sergeant Hill Hiles, Hiles, I think Hiles. Um, And (laughs) he eventually um, has like this altercation with Frank. Cause I guess every time Frank shows up, Hiles just like doesn't want him around cause he hates him. So <clears throat> he finally gets to the funeral and you know, Lucy's all shaken up and everything. Um, and then Ray falls into his own casket. So he's face to face with his dead body and everything. And Sheriff Walt shows up and he wants to discuss um, Ray's uh, Frank's final meeting with Ray because he realizes that, the two men actually right before Ray died, had had some kind of like maybe altercation and everything. So he kind of wants to talk to him about that. Mm-hmm. Not so much that he blames him for the death, but just to kind of see what, what all has transpired right before Ray's passing away. And he also mentions that the FBI, FBI is going to be coming in to do uh, some investigation on the deaths uh, because the hearts are just like crushed. And then it's, it's so odd to them. Um, oh yeah, because when they do the autopsy, it doesn't show signs of a heart attack. Like the no, the yeah. arteries are otherwise healthy, and it's like the heart has just been put a tremendous strain on it, like it's been squeezed. 
Yes. And of course, because based on the uh, what transpired the night before, Dr. Linsky truly believes that Frank can, you know, interact with ghosts. So she wants to know if he can see Ray and mm-hmm. that makes Ray super excited. Um, and then Frank, you know, tells her that, you know, Ray does uh, Ray says that he loves you very much. So that night, Frank agrees to have dinner with Lucy and then the ghost of Ray. And it, of course, is their anniversary, which just makes us all so sad, I think. And, you know, Frank has brought flowers that Ray's kind of picked out because it was her favorite and everything. Um, I love that they've chosen a medieval themed restaurant for their anniversary dinner. I see the first go around. I didn't notice that. And then this time I watched it and I was like, wait a second. <laughs> is that medieval times? I thought that was really funny. <laughs> um I think Walt was saying it. There was what is called Excalibur, and that and then it was the theme of the restaurant. Oh, okay. um, they would all walk around like you know, like uh, what are they? Waifs, I guess, and peasants and things, and serve <laughs> you food. Which I'm like, I just don't want the Black Death while I'm eating my salad. <laughs> Watch out for the rats. Exactly. Um, so we're uh, privy to the information that Frank was a former architect. He was working on his dream home. And that uh, he was involved in a car accident five years ago and he had a traumatic experience and it altered his perception. Um, And then (laughs) Lucy wants to know where her $16,000 has been invested. And that's the whole reason that she wanted, you know, to have this meeting with with uh, Frank and Ray, not like so much to like connect over like love or anything like that. (laughs) And then so Ray is like, well, I blew I blew it in a bad investment. And then. <laughs> then uh Frank lies and says it like raised apart it when he has it and everything. Um and then Lucy kind of spills the beans that their marriage wasn't that so good. And then <laughs> there's the hand touch between Frank and Lucy. And then Ray's getting all jealous and everything. Yeah, and he yeah. knocks the uh the goblet or whatever it is over. <laughs> yeah, it just it takes a very funny turn, not how you think it's gonna go, which I think is very clever. It's very much Peter Jackson, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the bathroom, Frank goes in there to clean himself off and there's a other gentleman in there and Frank sees much like on Ray, this number appears on the man's forehead, except this time it's 38. So the numbers increased. So he also kind of gets this glimpse of this like shadowy thing above the stalls. And so like this other man's in there just to use the restroom and like, um, (laughs) Frank's acting all weird and suspicious and everything. He's like crawling around trying to figure out what this thing's going on. Yeah. He's um, looking for it. Yes. Uh, but then all of a sudden there's this shrouded figure and it does that, like reach in on the heart thing and the guy falls over dead. And then his ghost goes up into the light corridor. Mm-hmm. But for all intents and purposes, again, Frank is the last person to be with someone who died of this weird heart thing. Right. And did <clears throat> Excuse me. Did you think that, um, like, without you know going into this the first time, did you think that that like the Grim Reaper was actually on a killing spree, like just taking lives and numbering people and stuff? Yes. It's how do I explain this? It's it's kind of oddly structured. I think um, the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like two stories. It's like when you take cards and you're going to shuffle them to like play them, it kind of feels like that's how this movie is to me. Like it's just like shuffled. 
Yeah. I don't know. It's I, hard to explain. No, I yeah. think I get what you're saying because it's, yeah. there's a, there's a couple different things going on. Like there's the story yes, exactly. and then there's the story underneath the story, which connects to the yes. story. Exactly. 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 Yeah. Cause it's, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, yeah. Um, so Frank freaks out, freaks out and flees. Um, and once outside, he again sees that the, like the, for all intents and purposes, it does look like the Grim Reaper. Don't you think it's shrouded? It's got the sickle that like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. So he sees that up on the rooftop and everything. And later it's revealed to law enforcement that a waiter saw Frank, you know, fleeing the restaurant and they want to bring him in to talk to him and everything. Luckily, I think for Frank, the sheriff, Walter, Walt, they kind of already have a relationship established. And I think that the sheriff doesn't really see Frank as a guilty party in all this. No, something tells me that they have like a friendly history. Yeah, they have, right. They have a past together and he's not really just automatically putting the blame on Frank. <clears throat> okay. So in, in the yellow Volvo, we have Frank and all the ghostly spirits are pursuing this other spirit, but they lose him. Yeah. That thing moves fast. Very fast. Yes. Especially considering it's packing that giant sickle with it. Um, <laughs> Where now, does it okay, put it so, when it's like floating through everything? You know? <laughs> well, I've got my suspicions, but this is a family friendly <laughs> show. Um, now, so there's a scythe and a sickle. Are they the same thing? Uh, oh, honestly, I really don't know. Okay, okay. Like I would call it, um, I would call it a scythe. Yeah. Okay. All right. Because isn't a sickle like more of that smaller hook type thing that is used for kind of just cutting small parts of grass, whereas a scythe is like you're, it's that big gigantic thing and, and you're just kind of shoo, shoo, you Okay. Know? All right. I like I your know, noise, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> that's the way that I see it. Like uh, I look at a sickle as kind of a handheld thing and then the okay. scythe like is Like a smaller a, one, that you kind of, Oh God, this is really technical for no reason. In my mind, what you're describing is a smaller one that's got like two handles and you use it like if you're clean, uh, clearing away like tall grass. No, this one has more of like a... No, not, oh, not the one in the movie. The one what I'm thinking you're describing. The smaller yeah, one. Yeah, the smaller one. It doesn't have two handles though. The smaller one oh. is just kind of a, a single, it's more of a hook shape. Oh, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Okay. Okay. And then like the scythe is just that big long blade and it's got like a handle up top and then a, and then a handle at the bottom. So you could like swing it and. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Okay. We really need. Okay. So uh, (laughs) anybody who has a sickle who might be a farmer. Yeah. (laughs) Reach out to us. Tell us the Um, difference between a sickle and a scythe or are they the same things? And I'm going to go a little further. If you're a fan of the pod, who's a farmer. If you could possibly send in a photo of you in overalls without a shirt and a beard using your sickle in some way, I'd greatly appreciate that. Okay. So here we go. So back in the, uh, with the law enforcement, we have Lucy filling on the cops on like, you know, what transpired their dinner. And then we have the introduction of the FBI agent, Milton Dammers portrayed by Jeffrey Combs. Oh, Um, and this was a great, like, all right. First impressions. I'm going to go. <laughs> um, like, did you think the first time you saw him, did you think Nazi? I think he wanted you to think Nazi. Okay. Yeah, I think so. He just needed that little mustache. I'll be honest with <laughs> yeah. you. A little Adolf 
mustache. Like yeah, the haircut. It, the, the Oh, totally. Yes, yeah, totally. I think if I, I could be speaking out of turn. And I don't know if it was when I had the HD DVD, there was a, uh, like a interview thing on there, but I, cause like Peter Jackson approached Jeffrey Combs because he just wanted to work with him so badly. And I think he gave him free range to kind of do with this character, kind of what he wanted. Really? And I think this was Jeffrey Combs kind of having fun with it. You know, I I can see that because this thing was so over the top and off the wall. It it was just like, what, what movie am I watching now? You know? Yeah, it's pretty goofy. Um, so there's a couple of things that I love about them. So he basically starts questioning Lucy in such a way that it, I, she becomes irate and she starts to scream at him. <laughs> and then he like departs because he doesn't like yelling women. <laughs> and then he's so upset that the sheriff goes to basically like coax, coax him back into the room. And then this is where Milton turns on Walt, the sheriff, and he's like, don't violate my territorial bubble. <laughs> <laughs> he is so goofy. To me, in a perfect world, there would have been an X-Files episode where Milton had to work with Dana and Scully on something. Oh, that would have been awesome. I would have loved that so much. <laughs> it's like, don't let her talk to me like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then like uh and then and then uh dana duchovny would have violated his territorial bubble yeah it's like you're entering my personal bubble i i do not like it <laughs> i don't know he's so goofy but then it's also revealed that he has 20 which this person would be perfect for this job he's had 20 years experience working undercover with cults and sex and i'm thinking it's taking its toll on you sir <laughs> yeah i would say so yeah, but now we are given more backstory on Frank. So apparently a contractor who was working back when they were uh, constructing, building their dream home, says that there was arguing between Frank and Deborah over building a basketball court versus a garden. Mm-hmm. And Frank had a toolbox with a utility knife inside of it with his initials on it. The couple went for a ride and they were arguing. And now this is this, I guess, came from Frank, not the contractor, because he would have known this. The couple were arguing and she wanted out of the car. But before she could be released from the car, there was a car crash. The body was found 15 yards from the car. Frank has no memory of what happened, except the utility knife was missing. And she was found. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. At that time, didn't uh, she have the number 13 carved into her head? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, now I'm gone. Anyway. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that that's what happened. Um, and then we see that they, uh, the soul collector, which that Grim Reaper thing is taking people out in fair water. That's what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Um now we see that there is a that soul corridor has opened up above the museum. Yeah, that so, thing is just taking lives left and right that night, man. Exactly. So Frank arrives just in time to see that Steve, the reporter, with the number 39 on his forehead, is departing up through the portal thing. And then he realizes that his the that Steve's editor has the number 40 on her forehead, which means that she's gonna be next. Yeah, and well, he tells Frank, her that. <laughs> yeah, 
but not in the way that you should. It, this is all like really, this is a great example, a movie cinematic example of poor communication mm -hmm. skills. Yeah, because <laughs> she thinks that Frank is the killer and like he's threatening her. Uh, like you're next, bitch. Um, right, exactly. But then the judge shows up and um, death shoots or I'm sorry, um, death is shot by the judge um, before the Grim Reaper thing can take the editor. Mm -hmm. So the deputies that are there have their guns trained on Frank because obviously no one else can see the ghost. Only Frank is privy to this. Right. And so the uh, I, I forgot their names. Uh, Stuart and Cyrus, was it? Yep, you got it. Okay, yeah. So they're like unleashing all, all manner of heck, uh, lifting up coffins and raising old mummies back to life and everything. Um, While judges having sex, oh yeah, me in a sarcophagus, which <laughs> uh, that was also weird. Yeah. Um, so basically, what they're doing is like you're saying, and they've created like a distraction to help Frank kind of get out of there. They've hidden him in a sarcophagus as well to mm -hmm. get him away from everybody. Um, so. While all this is going on, we actually see that the soul stealer kills the judge. So the ghost can be killed. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah. How? All right. So apparently from what I got from watching this movie and seeing it a few times and, you know, this time now. Okay. So when, uh, when Bartlett is under the guise of death, apparently yes. he can take the lives of other ghosts. But when he it's revealed that he is who he is, he is basically just another weak ghost who has like no power. Yes. And then are they so, okay, we're going to get like, really? So are the ghosts that are ghosts, are they existing in like a purgatory state? And then when they're killed, they clearly cease to exist. So does that mean that they either go to heaven or hell? Yeah, that's what I wanted. Like, do they, when they get killed, do they get, is that their corridor and they just kind of get sent off into whatever? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Cause go, okay. So, oh my gosh, Rob. Okay. So I, in my mind, ghosts, and I'm using little air quotes, ghosts <laughs> uh, are, are, are the souls that are like cursed to walk the earth for some reason. Mm -hmm. So I guess once, like what you're saying, once Bartlett in this case gets a hold of them, for some reason, they're no longer condemned to this mortal coil. They are allowed to pass on to the next level. Or, realm. or does, uh, this is something that I was thinking, like if they are killed by Bartlett, does he kind of claim their spectral power and like, that's what gives him the, you know, the extra oomph. Now that may be, but the people he kills still get to move on to heaven. Mm -hmm. if that's where they're supposed to go. Right. Because we know that from the end. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. You agree? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, th that confused me seeing that, like knowing that the, you know, he takes a, the shape of this uh, mythical death creature. And then, yeah. and then it's like he's able with that scythe, he's able to kind of tear all the other ghosts asunder. And it's just mm -hmm. uh, it's really wild, man. 
So, oh God, Rob. So now is it because he's death? Because he's in the guise of death. That's what I was thinking. I was like, where? Like, oh, is he getting that power? Because they're uh, every even ghosts are afraid of death, and so it's like, um, you know, that he kind of taking on that guise. But then when it's revealed to be, uh, oh, it's just Bartlett, this serial killer that got executed. It's like he has no more power. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. There you go again, making me think, Rob. <laughs> we ask the heavy questions here. The heavy questions. We are the Barbara Walters of horror. <laughs> um, so in the in the interim during all this, Frank punches the editor and knocks her out so he can like take her with him to keep her safe. Um, and then Cyrus pre- prevents the uh, police officers from following. Now, Frank and the ghosts and the... Uh, editor are inside the Volvo and they're flying down hollow road with the specter on top of the car. Now we are getting, this is a very flashback heavy film. We're getting flashbacks of Frank's original car crash. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, the editor Magda actually starts to come to. Um, and uh, we see that the, the ghost is actually there attacking her as because they've had a car crash. The ghost is actually there attacking Magda and Frank is too late to stop it. But still, even in death, the editor believes that Frank was the one who killed her. And she's still cursing him as she's like sucked back up into her light corridor. Oh, and I think I know why, because he he tried to jump on the hooded figure. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, So in her mind, yeah, he ended up on top of her. So she will for all eternity think (laughs) that Frank was the person who killed her and probably everyone else in the in the uh, in the uh, locale. Right. so back at the um, police station, the sheriff and the FBI agent are there and they're discussing with Frank uh, or discussing Frank, you know, and the agent's like, you're never going to see this guy again and everything. And Frank just walks in and he tells him he reports what happened and where Magnus body is and everything. And Lucy's all excited to see him. And that other female officer is the one that I mentioned. She's the actress from Heavenly Creatures. Oh, um, okay. He gave her the, the, yeah. Anyway. Okay. So she's all excited. And so Frank is trying really hard to pretend like he's just this total ass to get Lucy to like leave the station and just separate him from her. Mm -hmm. So now in the interrogation room, um, Milton is saying that Frank has a body count of 28 and the, um, the sheriff is still like holding true to the fact that he doesn't believe that Frank is the one behind all this. So Milton kind of asks the sheriff to leave the room and he starts interrogating Frank and he brings up Nina. What was it? Kalinga? Nina. I think it's Nina Kalinga, uh, who's able to stop the frog's heartbeat with her mind. Oh Um, yeah. Yep. And Frank's like, I don't kill people. And then Milton's like, you know, maybe you don't, but maybe your other side is out of control and that's, what's taking it over. And this is your way of, you know, living with yourself, doing it by giving it like his other alters, spirit thing and everything yeah he thinks that he's got some kind of mind power yeah and then frank fesses up and he's like you know he describes the the death ghost he's like i can communicate with other spirits and i can see things um and milton's not buying any of this he's like you just have a homicidal alter ego and he calls him a wife killer um yeah and and that's when uh frank kind of goes into a almost catatonic state but he's shaking and <laughs> and yeah. Dammers is like, 
oh, what's happening? You're trying to kill me now, aren't you? And then he reveals to, he reveals he's wearing a lead vest. Yeah, that, yeah, it's so weird. It's so odd. It's so odd. Um, so we're back at Frank's place and it's raining, but it's not Frank that's there. It's Lucy. Um, and she walks in and then Ryan's there or Ryan's berating Frank and everything. And Lucy spies a garden in back. The garden looks well tended and the basketball court has just been like left to go to hell. Mm-hmm. So clearly there's some remorse and everything and the garden won over and everything. And, you know, Frank totally feels badly about the way things ended with his wife. Yeah, and Ray makes an offhanded comment about what kind of uh, idiot lets a good basketball court go to right. waste. <laughs> exactly. So she gets a phone. Uh, Lucy gets a phone call from Patricia's. No, sorry, sorry. Lucy overhears Patricia's mom trying to reach out to Frank to come to help with the house because there's something going on at the uh, Bradleys' home. Mm-hmm. So Lucy decides to go and investigate on her own, which is a really bad idea. Yeah, because we see through like the spectral vision of her dead husband that the house is actually kind of an evil portal or something. Yeah, it's like super freaky looking. Yeah. Yeah. Now, okay. So a lot of the effects in this are CGI. Um, And to me, they kind of look of the time. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, I could see where, like, especially Peter Jackson, of all people, would, like, really want to tweak and play around with things with this. Um, But the house, to me, is one of the ones where you're like, oh, that's very dated looking. It's very, very wonky, yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't hate it. It doesn't ruin the movie. But, like, you definitely notice it's like, oh, yes, this was made in, you know, 1996. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, um, so... The mom's outside, and so Lucy takes the opportunity to kind of sneak into the house. And so Patricia's there, and then Patricia basically, like, hides the doctor up in her room because the mother has reentered the house. Now, all this time, Lucy's totally on Patricia's side because she sees the mother as this overbearing monster who's abusing the daughter. Exactly. Yeah. And so Lucy is like still in the mindset, you know, all these injuries that she's seeing is the mom's fault and everything. And then she sees, spies this urn in the room and that Patricia informs her that it was her father that killed himself after all the murders because he just was so distraught. Um, and then she has to keep it in her bedroom as punishment for what she did to her father because of all the, the grief she caused him. Um, and then her mother keeps saying that she's evil, just like Johnny. And then she's like, come with me to my mother's room. And then inside the mother's room, this is where Lucy spies all the newspaper clippings. Um, and then this is where Patricia says that Johnny went crazy and that she thought he'd kill her. And um, she hears the Patricia hears this noise coming from downstairs, which makes her jump. And she kind of hides Lucy in the closet. So mom doesn't realize that she's in there with her. So mom's kind of qu- questioning about Patricia. And then Patricia goes downstairs to the kitchen to draw mom away from her bedroom so she doesn't discover Lucy in there. Mm-hmm. Well, while Lucy's hiding in the closet, she discovers the utility knife that belonged to Frank because it has his initials on there and everything. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, okay, so the first time I saw this movie, 
I thought the mom had some part in it, you know, because she was like just a pain in the ass. Um, and then I was like, oh, wait, no, no, the daughter seems kind of effed up too. Uh, yeah. So maybe they were like a kind of mother daughter team. Well, they do a really good job, I think, <clears throat> of setting it up to make Patricia, D. Wallace's character, look like a victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think in the beginning. Oh, yeah. They I definitely really do, do think that. Because um, right from the get go, sh- the movie opens with her being pursued by a ghost. You know, she's already set up like as as a victim. Um, and so that's our, they implant that in your mind and you really don't see her any other way. There's no reason for you to see her any other way. Right. Yeah. Which I think is pretty cool. Um, so Lucy's sneaking downstairs. But in the interim, the the urn with Patricia's father, like starts emanating all these kind of like pinkish lights shooting up out of it. So. The women are puttering around in the kitchen, everything. And Ryan is attempting to save Lucy because he knows there's something wrong going on. Well, Mm -hmm. Lucy gets out, but then Ryan meets his fate at the hands of the Grim Reaper. And then like his mutilated like ghost body like drops on the hood of her car as she drives away. It it almost looked like he was skinned. Yes. Right, 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 right. Exactly. So back at jail, Lucy is allowed inside Frank's cell. And she shows up with the utility knife and uh, Frank is just, she's saying that she thinks Patricia's crazy and Frank's just shutting her out. He's not like giving her any open line of communication. And so Lucy just confronts him about it. Um, Cause you know, she's, he's like, she's like, you know, you're not the only one who's lost someone in their lives. I, you know, we kind of have common ground here to work with. Um, and Frank's like, I don't want to hurt you. And uh, he's been crying and everything and they hug. Um, we get the tender music. Um, and then all of a sudden his ghost friends pop in, Cyrus and Stuart. And then they kind of like back away to give him some privacy. But then he realizes that the number 41 is now on Lucy's head. And that's when death attacks. So Cyrus and Stuart are able to thwart the death's plans and they prevent Lucy's death. And then Stuart is struck by a sickle. In the yeah. interim of all and this. D- did he get sliced in half? Didn't it do something to his face? Cause it seems like his face did his face. I know that uh, when Michael J. Fox sprayed his in. face with bug spray in the beginning, it was, Oh, that's right. <laughs> in the yeah. eyes. That, that gooey thing. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a, one scene with the car where they're messing with the car and then his face gets chopped up like ham. Oh yeah. That one too. Yeah. 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 Um, so Frank and Lucy break free and then they're running down the hallway inside the station, but then Milton pulls out that gun and then Lucy runs to him like she's, you know, afraid of Frank, but then she uses that opportunity to spray him with the uh, fire extinguisher. Yeah. And that allows now, the did, two of them to free. Did Milton have the Uzi at this point or did he just have his regular pistol? No, I think he's just got his regular one at that time. Okay. I think. I think the Uzi pops up later. I think. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the sequence of events here where yeah. it's like sometimes everything just becomes all mashed together. Yeah. So. Once they're free of all of that turmoil, Frank gets the bright, bright idea that he's going to shoot himself in the head to confront death. But Lucy's like, no, wait a minute. That's permanent. She's <laughs> like, if I give you a shot, we can like basically give you a controlled death of like mm-hmm. 20 minutes and we'll put you in this lab lab cooler. And, you know, that way I can revive you. Um, so uh, and she's going to wait there and, and she'll be there to like help wake him up and everything. 
Why did he have to take off his shoes and socks? Did he? I didn't see that. Yeah, he's barefoot. So I'm like, he's in a lab cooler, freezing cold. He's going to be dead. Why did he have to take off his shoes and socks? Maybe it's to try to keep his body temperature as low as possible. That's the only thing I can think of. Okay. All right. I'll go with that. Okay. Um, Then all of a sudden, of course, being the jerk that he is, Milton shows up just to interrupt her plans. Um, So he's not going to, ah, so he's not going to let her stay to revive Frank because he's still under the assumption that Frank's responsible for all this. And this here I have right here. Milton pulls out a big gun. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he's not afraid of her this time. Oh no. He's like, yeah, no, he's not at all. So all of a sudden I, again, just like with Ryan, once you're in your ghost form, I guess it's all new. So you don't have like total control of it just yet. Mm -hmm. So Frank falls out of the freezer and he goes through like a couple of levels of floors in the, in the, uh, in the place where they are. Um, but now in the interim, Milton has handcuffed Lucy inside of his car and she starts screaming, which uh, makes kind of Frank depart the car for a little bit. Um, and then um, Frank kind of sees the ghost and Frank is free falling, but he successfully present, prevents Lucy's death. And then in the interim, the Grim Reaper ghost is hit by a big, big rig, which delays what eventually is going to transpire. Yeah, which is odd. Okay, so we know that the ghosts can just float through everything, but yet when the Grim Reaper one is hit by a truck, it actually it's like physically affects this. I it's don't know. Like, that, do you have to know it's coming to be able to handle it? Yeah, I know that it's very strange. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. So what? Has happened is Milton has taken Lucy to the cemetery. Um, and he said that he'll be willing to let her go in 11 hours. And so she starts to scream, which makes him leave the car. And then he reveals that he's a cutter. Uh, oh, is that when he's like, My body is a roadmap of pain? Yeah, he's just got all the scarification that he's inflicted on himself. Yeah. And so um, apparently he's been undercover for way too long. Way too long. Yeah. And he needs some help. (laughs) Um, But she also, we see inside the car that she's figured out that there's a way to like unscrew the door handle to at least let her out of the car. So she's working on that. Um, Then all of a sudden the car starts its own accord. She thinks it's Frank. Milton thinks he's doing it through mind control. That was Um, great. He's like, I did it. I'm moving the car with my mind. uh, Yeah. uh, But then um, Sergeant, uh, Kyle interrupts the process and everything because he's got to be a jerk all over again. Oh, okay. Um, That's the one who gets chopped in half. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Um, Cause he's attacked by death. Um, but this time, because we saw earlier that the Sergeant has these big, like machine guns mm-hmm. that Frank has these machine guns and he starts shooting at death. Yeah. And it, it just, uh, wow. Ghost guns are really effective. Very effective. So she's struggling with with Milton, and then I don't know why, but Frank just tosses the guns away, which you never want to toss a gun away in a horror movie. You always want to keep them, but Mm -hmm. he just throws them away. Um, So after he shot the ghost, we see that gooey splash of, I guess, ectoplasm, which reveals that it's Johnny Bartlett's face. Yeah, but didn't the face look like it was on the Necronomicon from Evil Dead at first? Yeah, totally. It totally did. Totally, totally, (laughs) totally did. Yes. Well. All these ghosts come out to kind of like 
greet thank Frank for what he's done. Oh and yeah. And they've them, all got numbers carved into their head. Yeah. And one of them is Harry Sinclair, which was um, Johnny's last victim from the first go round. Uh, and he shakes Frank's hand and everything. And Frank um, realizes that Johnny's going to be taking shape unless it's thwarted. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got to go try to prevent that from happening down in like the catacombs below the cemetery. Um, but that's stopped, prevented because Lucy has brought him back to life. Yeah, like he almost has it because uh, yeah. you see like Bartlett fleeing from him and he's like he's in his physical form now. He doesn't have the scythe or anything and he's just like scared, basically. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. But it's too and, late because uh, Frank comes back to life. Yes. And he. this is when he tells Lucy that it was Johnny Bartlett and we got to get Patricia out of the house. Mm hmm. So Lucy arrives frantically looking for Patricia and um, the mom is denying the daughter the right to leave. So Lucy brings up that she found the knife in the closet and everything. And the house is already starting to feel a little funky to me. I don't know how you felt about it, but it's already feeling kind of odd. Yeah. But uh, the mom heads upstairs and Patricia returns by herself saying that the mom um wants to go with her to the police station now and she'll be down in just a few minutes. So I knew something was wrong at that point. right? Yeah. Because Bartlett's back now. And uh, Patricia um, says, I know that he comes at night and everything. And we see um, goat like, so ghost Johnny is communicating with Patricia at the same time that she's communicating with Lucy, but Lucy doesn't see Johnny. So it's all very (laughs) odd on, like Lucy's end watching Patricia because she's having dual conversations going at the same time. Right. But I think she caught on near the end because um, Patricia reached out her hand and like put it to the side of ghost Johnny's face. Right. And she's like, okay, she's definitely touching something right now. Yeah. And they're wanting to do 41 killings because that will break Ted Bundy's record. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so in the kitchen, Patty goes to pick a knife uh, while upstairs Lucy is searching for Mrs. Bradley. And that's when she discovers the mom's stabbed body laying in a blood-covered, blood-soaked bed. That was a particularly gruesome scene. And I think uh, Peter Jackson actually left that or put that in because he got sick of, they. he wanted a PG-13 rating and they kept saying that it was our rating because- uh, gun violence and all this other shit. So he was like, you know what? I'm just going to put this gruesome death scene in the movie. Yeah. No matter how times, how many times he submitted to the ratings board, they just kept bouncing it back to him. So he's like, whatever. Yeah. So, um, there's the knife attack from Patricia and, um, eventually she gets locked in the bedroom, but she gets a hold of a gun. And then, so we get ghost Johnny attacking Frank as he comes uh, he he shows up to help Lucy. So he, Frank is battling with Ghost Johnny, and then Patricia's armed and dangerous as heck. <laughs> and it's like, the, did the mother have the gun to protect herself from the daughter because she knew that she would flip one day? And, and I would think of, she would be armed, wouldn't you think? I, I would be. I know that. Yeah. Or it could have just been Patty's from like when she was fifteen. Oh, <laughs> she she kept it as a souvenir. Yeah. Who's to say? Um. So they eventually force Johnny back into his urn and outside Frank reveals that they need to bury the urn on like 
hallowed ground. So mm-hmm. they realize that there's a chapel in the old hospital where everything took place. So that's where they're going to head off to. Which I would have booked it back to the cemetery. Right, because isn't, <clears throat> isn't that consecrated or something? Yeah, that would have been a heck of a lot easier in my mind. Yeah. But whatever. Okay, so they're back on the uh, uh, hospital grounds, and they're looking for the chapel. And then this is where we start getting more flashbacks on Frank's part. So Frank is interacting with the past while Lucy's like left on her own. Yeah. He's uh, it's like he almost got sucked into like a time portal. Yeah. Like he had, uh, excuse me, my throat is really dry, but it's almost like he's a beacon and, and the spiritual activity just kind of pulls him in whatever direction. Which Imagine if you had this in real life, what a mental mess you would be 24-7. Oh, you'd be a wreck. You would not be you would able to be function. A, you would totally be a wreck. You would be a wreck. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so inadvertently, the doctor from the past kind of gives Frank directions to the chapel, but not di- he's not directly speaking to him. Right. Um, then he berates the wrong orderly because it's <laughs> actually Johnny. Yeah, who's who's posing as an orderly, right? He didn't actually work there. Yeah, I don't think so. I think he was just in there to wreak havoc with what's her face. I wonder though, because she was there too. You know what? They may have actually worked there and then just been psychopaths. Oh wow! Yeah, that's possible. I mean, seriously, maybe what? they like formulated this plan. They're like, hey, we've got like it's like shooting fish in a barrel here. We've got all these victims. We can break a record within a day. Um, well, and how did they meet? Yeah, you one know, of them did, had to be a patient, they, right? Well, no, no, because she worked there too. I'm saying if they worked together, that's how they would have met. Yeah, but she was a little kid. She couldn't have worked there. Sure, she could have. She was 15. Oh, okay. I did. I thought like maybe one of them was a patient. See, I'm thinking, well, I don't know, because wasn't she a patient after the fact? Oh, yeah, because, uh, yeah, everything that happened, she definitely got institutionalized. Hmm. Because she wasn't a more she wasn't she more like a like a candy striper? I don't think she was a full grown nurse or full full fledged nurse. No, because she was still in civilian clothing. Like he was the only one dressed up as an orderly. Oh, I thought she had an apron on. Not from what I remember. Hmm. I thought she just had like a brown, a gray or brown sweater. I don't know. I'm gonna have to watch it again. All right, there you go. Oh, anyway, okay. <laughs> Okay, anyway, so now the two, this just kind of goes on and on. So basically what's happened is Frank's in a desperate attempt to get the urn. No, he doesn't have the urn yet. Lucy still has the urn. Yeah, like he's uh, he's still living the all the killings that began inside that little hospital or whatever it was. Right, because he, now he's seeing like Frank, uh, I'm sorry, he's seeing Patricia when she's younger with her gun and uh, Johnny with the gun and everything. Um, then there's sep- oh, wait, Patricia now. Oh, oh, it's kind of cool because there's Patricia with the gun then, but then it flashes to Patricia now. I thought that was kind of a cool scene. Oh yeah. Where, cause she has this dirty look on her face and it's like, he knows that he's watching something from the past, but something tells him to get the hell out of the way. And then it transforms into like Patricia now and she fires the gun. 
Exactly. Yeah. And then there's that cool scene with Johnny, the flashback with Johnny with the gun, but it's just long enough to separate Frank and Lucy for Milton to grab Lucy away from Frank. Yeah. And then Frank has to hide from Patricia underneath that bed. Yeah. And he's still experiencing flashbacks during that time, too. Exactly. And then that's when Lucy gets separated and she's like kind of locked inside that elevator. Mm hmm. Yes. Okay. So there's more flashbacks and everything. And it shows the couple's true partic- participation in the violence together. Because before you weren't really sure exactly what part Patricia played in all this, but like she was totally in on all this. Yeah. And this is where I got the idea that she was kind of the brains of the operation where she, you know, she's like, let's uh, do this and then we can be, you know, top dogs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like she was kind of manipulating him almost. Yeah. And then we also get. The flashback where victim 12 shows up, the one that we had an interaction with earlier in the cemetery. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to talk him into like just putting the gun down, but it doesn't go that way. Um, so we have Frank fleeing to the chapel and he hears Lucy, but she's still jammed inside that elevator. But she gives him the urn and he bursts into the chapel. But there's that whole Virgin Mary mishap with it flips and then the urn goes into the Agent Milton's hands, mm. who just dumps it to the wind. Why didn't he just let the, the statue fall, though? Like, would that be a bad thing? Yeah, I don't know. I, I It moves the story along. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. Milton is such a jerk. He is. Well, he even says he's an <laughs> asshole with an Uzi, which is so true. Yeah. He's a total dick, man. But so Frank realizes that the floorboard's broken away. So he's trapped between Milton with a gun. But I guess Milton doesn't really realize that Patricia's there in arms. So yeah, he just kind of takes that- a dive. Yeah, he falls backwards, which causes Patricia to shoot and Milton to shoot. Mm, and uh, Milton loses his head, which reveals a ghost head underneath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Lucy's eventually knocked out by Patty. And then this is where Frank actually sees what happened with his wife. Oh, yeah, like the two of them, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um and was that just, I guess, happenstance that they were there? Maybe because uh, Johnny Bartlett was a ghost at this point and he was kind of. No, no, I'm sorry. With Deborah, with Frank's wife originally. He yeah. He have been a ghost then. No, he was a ghost then. He uh, Because he was directing uh, Patricia on what to do, like how to kill and everything. Okay, so you're going to have to help me out here. So when Frank and them had the car crash, Mm -hmm. Johnny was already a ghost. Yeah, because they the killings that they had done when uh, Patricia was just a little child, like 15 years old, that happened like maybe 15 or 20 years beforehand. And then Frank's wife probably died maybe five years prior to that, I think it was. So did Johnny cause the car accident? That's what I'm Because he was a ghost? Yeah, because at that time, oh, Frank, okay, Frank couldn't okay. see anything. So maybe something like that happened. So Johnny probably caused the car accident somehow. Yeah. And then, oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, I mean, I sorry. could be wrong, but it looked like- No, that makes when he sense. Was, yeah, no, when he was having sense. the flashback, he saw a spectral Johnny Bartlett with a very much alive Patricia. So I was like, oh, okay. Okay. See, in my mind, they were both- Okay. No, that makes way more sense. Okay. Thank you. All right. Okay. Gosh. Okay. 
<laughs> this to me in a lot of ways is very convoluted. There's there's so much going on. There is. <laughs> Not that that's a bad thing. Not that that's a bad thing. That rests way more on my shoulders than on Peter Jackson's. Okay. <laughs> so um then the uh, uh Patty's gun is now empty. So instead of shooting him, she's just forced to strangle him from behind. And she uh, succeeds in doing so, which causes Frank to become a ghost. And this makes Johnny so super pleased in what's happened because, you know, they succeeded, right? So she's talking about doing a vivisection on him. And all of a sudden, though, she's interrupted by ghost Frank pulling Patty into the light corridor and Johnny goes pursuing after her. And whose light corridor was that? Was that Frank's? Probably because, yeah, I would have opened up for him, don't you think? Because he was the dead one at the beginning. Right. But see what I'm, okay, now I could be just messing things up here. But when he first, like when the doctor gave him the thing that would, you know, give him his out-of-body experience, the corridor came for him and like he had already missed that. So Going by the logic of the movie, you have to wait a whole year before you can get another corridor. And is it just because like he came back to life and died again that he gets it? I don't know. I think that's so. Yes, I agree with that. Completely. Okay. Yeah, I think that I think that theory is correct. I think. I think. Yeah, because it couldn't have been anybody else's corridor because the only other person was Lucy. And well, she- no. Well, uh, to me, the only other person could have been. Uh, oh, Milton. It could have been his. Oh, no, no. I was thinking Patricia's Patty's because when he pulled her out. Oh, shit. Yeah. That. OK. Yeah. Now nah, that, yeah. that's making more sense now. OK. Because um, Lucy never died, did she? No, I don't she think she died. did. Yeah. No, I don't think it would come in Lucy's corridor. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> this is so confusing. <laughs> so, but anyway, so they're being drawn upwards. He loses the grip on them or let's go on purpose. However you want to say it, whatever. Um, the couple are all gloating and you know, whatever. And they're going to head back to earth and just continue on. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden these tentacles start reaching up and grabbing around them uh, and, and going through their eyes. Gonna, and yeah. It's not going to work out well for these two. <laughs> um, so what's happened is they're being plunged back into hell and Frank is greeted by Cyrus, a now updated Cyrus and Stuart, mm-hmm. and uh, they're uh, talking up heaven and everything. And then Deborah shows back up, his uh, Frank's uh, former wife who, who had passed away, um, and she says it's time to go home. And then all of a sudden he's pushed back to Earth, and she says be happy, which I thought was really sweet. Yeah, I thought it was very sweet. Um, and then all of a sudden he's awakened by a kiss from Lucy, and then they're back at their dream house, and it's being demolished. And they're having a little picnic and they're proposing a toast. And all of a sudden the sheriff, Walt, shows up and he interrupts and he uh, asks uh, uh, Frank about a whole bunch of Ouija boards they found at the uh, Bradley house, which I thought was kind of cool. So so Patricia had been like working on conjuring him up for quite a while. Yeah, Um, she'd been in communication with him. Yeah. And he wants to write a book together with Frank. But Frank's like, no, you can do that on your own. <laughs> and he says, maybe your garden angel can uh, help you with that. And then we see that there's a ghost Danvers in the backseat of the car. <laughs> um, but Lucy reveals that she can also see ghosts now. Right. Because she said he uh, he didn't look happy or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we get the end credits, which are uh, the song Don't Fear the Reaper it plays by um, 
the Mutton Birds, which right. is an Australian I, band. I was hoping that it would have been the Blue Oyster Cult, and Don't Fear the Reaper, that version. But anyway, it's a badass song, and I loved it, uh, especially when Lucy put the uh the picnic drape over her and pretended like yes! she was the reaper i thought that was pretty cool yeah i liked it a lot yeah i love don't fear the reaper like i i i to me the very first time i ever heard the song was in halloween and i was like what is this song <laughs> and i became infatuated infatuated with it since then like i love that song so much yeah i pretty much had a similar experience with it when i heard it i was like this song is just too good i i've got to keep listening <laughs> it's so and- good yeah, and then they stuck it in Scream. I remember it was in Scream. Probably as an homage to Halloween, I'm sure. It was but yeah, in, I love uh, that song. Yeah, it was in Rob Zombie's Halloween. Oh, of course it had to be, yeah, because yeah. it was in the other Halloween. Yeah, no, I love that song so much. Um, so, Rob? Yes, sir. What did you think of The Frighteners? Oh, it's I love this movie. It's another one of my favorites and something that I could watch like at least once a year. Just, uh, you know, it's it's a fun movie. It's not your straight up horror. It's got a bunch of different elements to it, but it, it works. Yeah. And uh, it's a perfect storm, but it all worked out. Yeah. So on like IMDb, it's listed as comedy, fantasy, horror. And I think that's all of those categories are correct. Um, it's it did it have a- that uh, Tim Burton fantasy aspect to it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but like a darker, mm-hmm. darker. Yeah. Um, cause it's silly to some degree, but like, like totally it's kind of like all over in a weird way. It uh, is not a yeah. bad way, but a weird way. It is. It's all over the place. I think that's like the, the Peter Jackson stamp though. Exactly. To, to me, it is a total Peter Jackson horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind of makes me sad that he doesn't do this anymore. Um, I do love a good Peter Jackson horror movie. Yeah, because like when you think about the timeline, it's like you've got bad taste, then dead alive. And it's like they were very wacky, but they were also like this over the top kind of uh, gross horror type things. And then um, this one, it kind of does it, but it does it with ghosts. So you've get you've got like ghost decapitations and and like all this ghost violence and stuff. But it's definitely like Peter Jackson through and through. And it was also him coming into the mainstream because you didn't have well known actors with bad taste or dead or alive. Not like you had with this movie. Oh right, yeah, you had New Zealand actors. Actors, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, this is like really like Peter Jackson coming into Hollywood. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of that had to do with Heavenly Creatures. Okay. I think, because that did so well. And I think that really showed people what he could do. Yeah, that was his little uh, door opener right there. Yes, yeah. Or and another, if you people, if you've never seen Meet the Feebles, that's that's another experience altogether. From Peter Jackson. I've got to check that out. Oh man, it is it's something else. <laughs> oh, but um, yeah, I'm with you on everything you said. Like, I it is so much fun. It really is a lot of fun. Um, you, I could see where the wrong person that gets a hold of it will pick it apart for the CGI. Mm-hmm. Um. To me, it didn't bother me really because you are dealing with ghostly things. And I I think it 
at the time, that's how you would make that happen. And I, I think they did the best that they could with what they had. Um, right. I don't you know, know how you would do uh, ghosts and make it look more believable without the CGI because you can't exactly make people see through or anything like that. Oh yeah. No, I'm honestly, Rob, I'm talking more about the like Freddy Krueger stuff we're talking about where he's like, Oh, okay. Flying through the steps and coming through the wall and stuff. That to me looks more siege. That to me, I think is the stuff that people would complain about. Um, Right. Probably. But you couldn't, I don't know if there's a way to do that with practical effects. You could. Cause like, because the the Fred Krueger thing was a practical effect, so you could do it, but I think it'd be so much harder mm. uh, and and more time consuming and more expensive. And yeah. I don't think it would probably flow quite the same way. And um, plus, Freddie wasn't like diving through walls and through floors. Right? And stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's a totally different kind of thing, and it does not bother me. Like, not in the least. Like, it doesn't really pull me out of the film. But I. <laughs> I think if you presented this film to a certain type of viewer, they would take uh, umbrage with it. You know, they would be like disappointed in it where it, to me, it doesn't bother me at all. I'm, I'm fine with it. Um, But I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, If you're a Peter Jackson fan at all, you, you definitely need to see this movie. Um, it, I think this is, if I'm not mistaken, this is the last uh, feature film that Michael J. Fox uh, starred in, was the lead in before he did just segue into TV again. Yeah. Like, I think he went into Spin City directly after this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Michael J. Fox fans, you, if you've not seen this, it's a whole lot of fun. Um, creature feature, you know, if that's your thing, I think it's totally you know, checks all the boxes on that one. It's a, it's a good ghost movie, which I think a lot of times you don't get that. Yeah. And it's a um, fun ghost movie too. It like, it doesn't oh, take yeah. itself overly serious, but it does have serious undertones in it. It's really quite dark. Yeah. I mean, cause you're dealing with serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's very odd. It really is very odd. It's like comedic, but like super dark in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like, I love D Wallace's role. Cause it's so anti D Wallace. Right. Like you see her as almost this, this very kind of pure soul where in this movie, she's like one of the darkest. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Cause I mean, like, she's usually like, you know, the mom or mm-hmm. like, you know, she's, she's never the uh, antagonist. She's always the protagonist. And like, yeah. She really gets to go all for it with this one. <laughs> and it totally like the brown hair. It does not look like her. Not at all. I almost would. It would be a different kind of movie, but I almost want to see Patricia and Johnny's origin story. Ooh, hey, that like that natural born killers kind of style. Yeah, I just that would be very interesting to me. Like, just fill me in on that. You know, so we don't have to speculate. Right, right. So like who who's manipulating who or are they both just really screwed up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how much and then like did their mom know? I mean, did her mom know about the relationship at all beforehand? Was she like, you can't see this guy. He's too old for you or he's crazy. Or, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And she's like, no, I love him. And, you know, I don't know. I just wonder about all that. Or did she sneak out and it was on the sly or, right. you know. How could her mom not know about the urn? 
Yeah, right. Well, she probably just said, you know, I love him and he's going to, you know, yeah. She, yeah. I mean, <laughs> she, the mom probably knew about that, but that's still freakish there too. Yeah, it is. Cause it's like, you've got a, a killer's ashes that you're and, keeping and around. Then, and then how did she get all the Ouija boards? Cause mom like didn't really let her out of the house. Did she have to sneak out and buy Ouija boards? And where's she getting Ouija boards from? Right. Or, oh, Rob, holy see, shit. There's, there's, there's so deep, man. The lore is deep. Yes. So deep. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, no, oh, just real quick. This is a total side thing. But as far as serial killers go, I just watched a movie where Jake Busey is playing Willie Picton, the, I guess, infamous Canadian serial killer. Um, and it's called Pig Killer. It's kind of a odd take on it. But um, if you're into true crimes, kind of, um, it's based on um, uh, the serial killer, Willie Picton. Um, and that might be something our viewers may want to check out. But anyway, that's a side note. So coming up next time we meet folks, we're going to be doing Deathgasm, which is Rob's pick from 2015. We're like way jumping ahead. Yeah, we, we're just popping all over the place. We are. Um, so that's what we'll be doing then. Now, if you want to reach out and get in touch with us, I am always lurking on the dark regions of Instagram at Midnight Mass Creature Cast. So yeah, feel the, free to get in touch with us there. The darkest parts of the Instagram. Yeah, you can, mm-hmm. you know, hit Mark up and make a request for movies um, or send him pictures of you in like a farmer outfit. <laughs> I mean, depending. I would on love that more into. than anything with a, with a sickle or a scythe. <laughs> yes, a sickle or a And definitely let us know about the, the difference between a sickle and a scythe. Yes, I should know this. My grandfather's probably rolling over in his grave because he was a farmer. But <laughs> I never saw him pack either a sickle or a scythe as far as I know. But yeah. Um, He's very upset with you. He's very, well, for many reasons, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) But if you want to get a hold of us, please, please, please do. We'd love to hear from you. And, um, you know, we always appreciate you, whether this is your first listen or your 51st listen, uh, because the more the scarier, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. And the same thing with me. And um, geez, all right, let me roll that back. (laughs) And until next time. We hope that you stay spooky. Whoa. <laughs> uh, I I had something that I wanted to say. Probably and, the suplex city limits. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I forgot about that too. Jeez. Okay. Um, okay. So let me just throw that in there right now. Okay. So you can find this show. We are part of the Suplex City Limits Network. That's on suplex, yeah, suplexcitylimits.com. There are four shows there currently. This one, the Old Guy Metalcast, the Federation, Suplex City Limits. Um, yeah, that's four. So, you know, check us out there. And also, big shout out to Spitball Media Podcast. Uh, yeah, and I think that was it. I think that was all. Yep. Give them a listen because they are a lot of fun. I enjoy their podcast. New fan, new fan. Totally. So I think that does it. Okay, yeah, I I think that was everything.